Now we can chat people pleasing. Wow, we could be here all day talking about the root of this behavior, especially for women, especially, especially for women in business. We still have kind of a new history with us women in business. And I'm so glad to finally give you a guide for loving your clients, caring about them, but not being at the mercy of them. Welcome to Sincerely Future You, a podcast that helps ambitious women like you make decisions today with the future you in mind. Are you a people pleaser in life and business? Is your desire to make sure everyone is satisfied costing you time and money left and right? But you just care so much, right? Tough love time, darling. People pleasing is the opposite of kind. It's lying. It's saying that it's a yes when it's a no. It's creating a relationship that you resent rather than one of honesty and trust. And that is not how we run a masterful business. In today's episode, we're going to break down some of the psychology between why it's so hard to break this people-pleasing habit. And you're going to learn the three phases of giving up people-pleasing altogether. I've done an episode in an early days of the show, but... The sound quality for some reason is atrocious and the topic is so valuable that people keep saying they're going back to it and I can't have it. I want to reintroduce to you this topic of letting go of people pleasing, but with some fresh examples to help you guys drop this act like it's hot. But before we do, I got to shout out the client of the week. The client of the week this week is Neela. Neela has a couple of businesses. She is a pre and postpartum wellness coach. She also runs a graphic design business where she helps people get the full tailored custom experience, usually with weddings, sometimes with business branding. And she just is an all-around talent. But the thing is with all-around talents is we have a million ideas and sometimes it's really hard for us to focus in. And that's why a lot of my clients come to me to help them master before they multiply or in Neela's case, help them simplify and get really clear about what results they want to create in each of their offers so that they can reverse engineer it. Now, Neil has been working on this this entire last March class of the Masterful CEO School. But this month, I'm really watching her hit her stride, not just in hitting some goals that she'd been working on for months in terms of reaching the amount of clients and the amount of revenue that she was working on in each of her prospective businesses, but Also, she is about to have a baby. And for those of you who are listening to the show or have been listening to the show for a long time, you know that the people that I'm speaking to, you want big lives, not just big businesses at the expense of a big life, but a big life too. And that might mean for you having a family. That might mean for you starting a family like Anila's case. But if you're new to the show, you're going to be so excited about what she's working on, which is setting up her maternity leave and not just figuring out how to tie things up so that everybody feels like they're good and they have some homework and they're on hold uh, and all of the automated responses are on while she's away. Some of that will be happening too, but 
bigger than that. We wanted to think about how she could create a business that is bigger than her, that runs without her while she's not even there so she can continue to deliver the value and continue to make money. As an entrepreneur, I don't see anything out there in the world like what I am teaching my clients in terms of setting up maternity leave so that you are able to continue to make money. That is a gift and we get to give it to yourselves. So shout out to Neela, who's really starting to think big, thinking about her brand that lives beyond her as the practitioner, as the artist, as the CEO, right? CEOs are great at delegating. They understand that the value lives in the results, not in time with them. Okay. So I'm just so proud of you, Neela. And I can't wait to see what your business does when you are snuggling that little baby. Okay. And now it's time to get hype. Time to replace a coffee with a hype sesh. I imagine this part of the show, the hype sesh does for your brain what seeing Coca-Cola logo does. Fun fact, one brain study actually showed that even without drinking it, just seeing the logo causes the brain to release the dopamine drug. So let's go skip the calories and let's get hype. Where do you get your ideas for your products, your emails, your social media content, your podcast episodes? Where do you seek inspiration? Where do you go for answers? Who do you ask? Is it leaders in your industry? Is it your mentor? Is it Pinterest or TikTok or other podcast books? Or is it future you? Listen, there's no need to reinvent the wheel at every turn. Decision fatigue is real and your energy is precious. But social media is beginning to turn into some giant amalgamation of oneness. There's a group think in the way that we speak, the problems we're solving for, the angles we speak to. Are you in your biz girl era? Does that phrase even sound familiar to you? It probably does because one person says something and then we're so easily influenced by it. It's in the air that we breathe. And if you're following a copy and paste guide to launching the same way all photographers should, for example, or putting items on the menu at your restaurant that are just trending right now, Trendy references can snag attention. I get it. But too much of this follow this foolproof method or use this trending audio is going to put us all to sleep. You are too rad to become a watered down version of what's already out there. The only Kool-Aid I want you to be drinking is the one that future you is serving up from her punch bowl. You have the recipe to a sparkle juice that no one has ever tasted. And if you're seeing low engagement or the same crowd coming back and no one knew, it's like your mom's just liking the the posts over and over again. It's probably because you're regurgitating the same hogwash over and over. Make it weirder, you masterful CEO, you mistress of the biz, queen of the serving up the goods, grand poobah of profits, capitana of the entrepreneurship. See what I mean? See what I mean? Here's your homework. Ask what your clients need. Then tell them boldly, sweetly, sassapansily, simply, quirkily, poetically, whatever your biz language style is, exactly why they think they don't have the result they're looking for and then why they don't actually already have it. Be brave, be specific. And if you get stuck, picture future you in her most unbasic future life 
the clothing, her environment, all of the details, and then speak as if you're already her. She knows exactly what to say. All right, now we can chat people-pleasing. Wow, we could be here all day talking about the root of this behavior, especially for women, especially, especially for women in business. We still have kind of a new history with us women in business. And I'm so glad to finally give you a guide for loving your clients, caring about them, but not being at the mercy of them. As you're listening to this episode, you are practicing one of three behaviors that for the purpose of this episode, I've organized into three phases of giving up people-pleasing. Phase one, people-pleasing. You're just doing it. Phase two, standing up for yourself. This is when you're dropping the people-pleasing, but it feels like you got your dukes up. And phase three is neutral honesty. I pre-warn my clients that the process of learning most of the advanced skills of life and certainly of business are going to require you to trudge through different emotional terrains. A good example is becoming fluent in a new language. Phase one, you know nothing. Phase two, you think you know everything. Phase three, you realize you're always going to be learning and that fluency is a scale with no ceiling. It's a roller coaster. I went on it when I was becoming fluent in Spanish and right still, I'm still always learning. It can feel like a roller coaster, but don't worry. I'm going to give you a few rules today to help make the emotional ride feel purposeful instead of out of control. With people pleasing, the reason why I see most people continue to people please isn't because they're blithely unaware of their tendency to say, oh, gee, you have to cancel 10 minutes before our appointment. You overslept your alarm? Oh, no problem. I have other things I could do at the office anyway. You tell me when's good for you. I'm so sorry that we couldn't meet. Next time I can come to you if that's easier. Are you mad at me? <laughs> just kidding. I'll just send you a full refund. Don't even worry about the transaction fee. They know their MO. And if you're listening to this, that might sound like a slightly exaggerated version of you. If you're in phase one, you're people pleasing and you probably know it. You might even think of it as a part of your identity and make offhand jokes about how much of a people pleaser you actually are. As if you were born this way with a sucker heart and an, oh, shucks, I can't help myself desire to make everyone's life easy and pleasant and negative emotion free. But if you're a business owner, you can't afford to keep acting like this isn't a problem because it will cost you time and money and the ability to scale into a reliable business that your clients and team can trust. Here are some common examples of people-pleasing showing up in business. Having loose or no cancellation policies, accepting payment in every form, particularly whatever the client asks out to pay, Venmo, Zelle, cash, half check, half cash, get it to you a little later. Having a complicated business in the form of a million products or services because you say yes to every version of what people ask you for. And I've seen this at the million plus level. I've seen it in industries where people are the leaders. They still think that the way to serve their clients is to give them exactly every way that they ask for things. 
People pleasers tend to go to great lengths to accommodate the wishes and preferences of others, sometimes to the detriment of their own well-being. And in this case, in business, sometimes that looks like a team that runs you. An unpredictable schedule with lots of interruptions. My people-pleasing clients usually come to me saying, oh, you don't understand. Scheduling is going to be really hard for me. And then they list all of these examples of ways that their schedule feels out of control to them that they've created by having no policies and no boundaries. This also might look like clients texting or calling or DMing you around the clock, a lack of accountability for your clients. If they show up and they don't manage the expectations that you set for them and you're just like, okay, no problem. And you just gloss over it and you don't set clear boundaries and expectations. They have less accountability and therefore they're not going to get the results that you set out for them. Low levels of commitment or follow through from your clients. It might look like feeling overwhelmed and exhausted from trying to manage everyone and everything. Little time truly unplugged. Or if you do unplug, it's out of necessity from burning out or quitting or having to take a break. You shouldn't have to take a break from your business. We get to create a business that looks like the business we want it to look like. Holding on to products or offers that aren't profitable or aligned with your future because you don't want to disappoint one or two past clients. So you still have that offer on the table, even though it's not how you want your future business to look. The problem is you probably kind of like the badge of people pleaser. Why? Understanding why we do what we do, it's a crucial part of breaking a cycle. So let's address it. Most people pleasers I've coached tell me in some form or another that they think that people pleasing just matches their most important core value, and that's caring. But here's the thing. Caring is not giving people exactly what they ask for, delivering it in the way that they like, and in the moment they ask for it. Caring doesn't mean having no policies or boundaries. It doesn't look like saying yes when it's actually a no. That is lying. That is enabling and it's harmful to your relationship, whether it's with your clients, your suppliers, or your team. You're only people pleasing because you think it's the highest form of kindness and love. And for that, I love you but you don't have to drop the kindness and the love part. I'm going to teach you exactly how to incorporate that without doing it at the expense of yourself and the integrity of your business. Good news. You can finally take the globe off of your back, Atlas. Okay. Because people pleasing is actually a dick move. And here's an example. I've been in coaching rooms where coaches had strict policies about the expectations of showing up on calls timeliness, having their camera on, not being in the car, no kids in the room, no animal, no pets, right? Good sounding quality, making sure your internet is a good internet connection. And then I've also been in coaching rooms where it's no big deal. The result of no biggie is that people become more relaxed about their commitment and begin multitasking, showing up late, scheduling things for right after and being rushed or unfocused or having to be in the car to drive there. If it's a group call, it diminishes the value for everyone else. 
wasting time and changing the level of the value of your offer. Ultimately, it's the client that doesn't get the result that they paid for. Everyone loses. So what do you do? Number one, when you're in people pleasing and you're in phase one, is you're going to make decisions from your model and not other people's models. What do I mean by this? I mean that you're thinking about what do I think about this situation? What do I want to feel? And what do I want to do here? What is the result I want to create? Making sure that the results is not how someone else is going to think, feel, or behave. We can't control the way our clients think and feel and show up, but we have this illusion oftentimes that we can. And so we spend a lot of time trying to manipulate our clients, trying to, and we cloak it in the goal of making sure we have satisfied customers. And listen, I'm all about striving for 100% satisfaction of customers. But the way that I do it is deciding in advance what I think my policies are going to be around that in terms of like for me, the policies that I've created in my business to create that same result and that same goal are I have strong onboarding and offboarding processes for my goals. I make sure that people can journal and reach me in between coaching calls so that if they have other specific questions or concerns, I can address them. I set very clear expectations for them. And I am very selective with the people that I let in the room. So I only let people in the room who I feel like are truly ready for the program. And they are going to be able to take advantage of the tools and get the results. And it because I have high standards for that, and I have high expectations of them and myself and my team, and I set up policies and processes for that, when people come in and they are feeling dissatisfied, I get to look and say, okay, does this already fall into... Do I like the way that I've shown up? Can this be added to it, but I'm not doing it from a place of wanting to please them. I'm doing it from a place of wanting to improve my process of wanting to show up as a great business owner. It's so subtle, but it's a slight different when I'm thinking about being controlling the only thing I can control, which is me, my business, my offer. I never do anything from the perspective of trying to control how my client is going to feel or think about me or the action that they're going to take. At the end of the day, it's your client's responsibility or your customer's responsibility for what they do. And we can suggest things and we can offer things and we can offer them thoughts and prompt them with things. But you are in the pool of people pleasing if you are trying to make decisions based on what other people are going to think, feel, and do. Okay. So that's step one. If you're in phase one, you're going to make decisions based on what you think, feel, and do, and not what others do. Step two, you're going to ask, does this decision feel good in my body before, during, and after the decision? 
So in some cases, it might make sense to make exceptions with a client. You have a policy, but someone comes in, they have a a situation and you make an exception. I love to make an exception and I'm always making exceptions from my value system and from the values that I feel like are important. So in in some cases, I'll just sit with myself and I'll say, okay, I think this decision feels good before it's going to feel good during. The question about after is I'm asking like, okay, is am I making room for the client to respond however they want to my decision? And still, am I willing to have my own back on the decision? No matter how they respond or what they do, whether they appreciate it or not. Which brings me to rule number three of your people pleasing. Ask, am I creating a no-lose situation regardless of how the client or employee or supplier shows up in their thoughts, feeling, or action? So for example, let's say they don't appreciate it. Let's say they ask, oh, hey, can you um, can you actually do tomorrow instead of today? I had a last minute thing come up and you move things around and you have to get childcare and you go there and you're like, okay, like I'm doing this for them. And they show up a little bit late and they don't even say thank you. Are you still able to feel really good about your decision to change that? And one way to guarantee that is that you're just deciding, deciding in advance okay, this is what I like to do. I like to make one exception for people per client. That is my policy where I think that things happen. But when things happen more than once, it's usually not an exception. That means they're creating, they have a relationship or they have a tendency, right? So I'll make an exception, of course, if I think it's appropriate, but I'm not going to enable a behavior. And even if they don't appreciate it or not, I just decide, oh, I feel generous in my body. So I feel good before, during, and after, regardless of, they can just be completely unaware of how much effort it took me to move around my schedule, I don't even need to tell them. I just get to feel generous in my body and show up that way. But I'm firm in my policies and I'm not going to people please to do it a second time. And I'll have good reasons for that. So step number four, if you're in people pleasing is to check in. Do you like your reasons for showing up the way that you did? I like to be a generous person. I like to make room for humanity. I have kids. They get sick sometimes. I, you know, I'm having an off day occasionally and I'll show up late. And I think that there should be room for human error. But even if sometimes I say, okay, yeah, no problem. I'll make the change. And then they no show me on the second time. Maybe I'll do it differently next time, but I still get to decide I like my reasons because I like to believe that people are generally human and they're generally good. And as long as you like your reasons, you get to back up the action that you took, even though you get to say like, okay, people are generally good. I love that I believed that. And also going forward, I'm going to say that you require 24 hours notice at least so it doesn't cost me double for childcare to switch it around. Something like that, right? Okay. Now let's say you've decided you're done with people pleasing and you're moving on to phase two or you're in phase two right now, standing up for yourself. This is the experience most people think is the alternative to people pleasing. 
if I want to stop, I have to start standing up for myself. I have like, if you're watching the YouTube, you can see, I just keep putting my like my dukes up, right? Putting my hands up. But actually this is the amateur alternative that comes from big time thought errors. Number one, people keep putting me in this situation and that I had to people please, or I had to be the bad guy, right? Had to put my guard up, had to defend myself. Okay. You have this thought, they put you in this situation. Or number two thought error, you shouldn't have to deal with this. People will tell me that all the time. My clients, you guys will tell me, oh, I just, every time people will always come and they'll ask me for something that just isn't something that I offer. It's so annoying. I shouldn't have to deal with this. And I'm like, "Mm, well, if you want clients, you're going to have to expect that humans are going to behave like humans do. And they're just going to be operating from their thoughts and their worlds, kind of oblivious to the way that you are doing things. That's okay. You get to deal with this, right? Okay. So we're going to watch out for those two red flag thoughts of someone put you in this situation or you shouldn't have to deal with this. I love the example. I had a client years ago who was getting like upset every time she saw a a Boy Scout or like a a do-gooder enter with a clipboard looking for donations (laughs) because she was such a people pleaser that she felt like, oh, I hate that people keep putting me in this situation, asking me to donate money. And she was either having to say no, quote unquote, standing up for herself, being the bad guy, or she was having to people please. Like those were her two options. And she felt terrible and she wanted to donate, but she was over donating outside of the budget of what her business could afford sometimes. Right. And so I thought that this was really, really interesting because her whole focus was on that. She wished other people would not show up or in whatever case that you might be going through right now, you might wish that other people would act differently. This puts you in a situation when you are at the mercy of your business. Perfect clients and customers are going to show up confused all of the time. They're going to think it's no big deal for you to just deliver it to them when that wasn't discussed or part of the payment. If you don't tell them otherwise, they're going to assume that it's not that big of a deal if they're 10 minutes late. They're going to keep texting you at 10 p.m. if you keep responding when they text at 10 p.m., right? When we believe it's common sense, another thought error, or other people should act differently, we feel disempowered. We feel like the victim of our business. And therefore, the only logical solution is to stand up for yourself, right? there's a much lovelier option available to you. And this is phase three, neutral honesty. This is the phase I know that you can all get to. It's the phase where you meet people with clean and clear policies, boundaries, and values. You are so concentrated on who you want to be in this relationship, how you want to show up as a business owner, as a human being, how you want to show up as a boss in the employee-employer relationship, in the supplier relationship, if you have one of those, right? In a contracted relationship. 
It's all about how are you are going to think and feel and what you're going to do and how you plan to over deliver to them. It's the simple truth without apology or guilt or resentment, just neutrality. It's the masterful way to communicate within your business, building trust at every corner. But like phases one and two, practicing neutral honesty isn't entirely exempt of you feeling terrible. Our human desire to please and satisfy at all costs, it's strong, especially for women because we've been socialized in this way. But when you understand that pleasing at the expense of yourself and your business is a surefire way to break down your relationship instead of to show that you're caring, you'll be more willing to show up in alignment with your thoughtful policies and values instead of saying, "Ugh, okay, sure, why not? And then regretting it later. So how do you start practicing neutral honesty? Step one, get clear on what's true for you. What are the values of your company? What policies feel fair, amazing to deliver, and still like you're over-delivering? My clients who've transitioned from people-pleasers into telling the honest truth have created some of the most incredible industry standards for customer service. Because giving up people-pleasing doesn't mean your customer service has to go down. On the contrary, it just means that you are owning your role as the expert and CEO of delivering your value and that you are going to guide people where they need it. Once you've gotten clear about your policies, boundaries, and true desires, you can start to make decisions in integrity with the life and the business that you want to lead. For some of us, this is complicated work. You may have to separate desires for you from the desires of your clients because sometimes they're not going to match. And I'll give you some examples. That's okay. There is always a creative way to find a win-win. So after you've decided and gotten clear on what's true for you, whether it's in your policies or your core values as a company... Step two, drop victim thoughts like the ones we identified in phase two, right? Red flag any thoughts that anyone else should be acting differently and instead focus on what you want to think, feel, and do. I said that pretty simply, but I get that it's not easy. It's a big transition focusing your brain on you because it means you have to do something, right? It means you have to feel negative emotion and then show up anyway. You have to put your big girl pants on, right? Okay. And it's hard and it's challenging and it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it doesn't feel fair, but you know what? We're adults. And the truth is, is that what gets to be fair is that you get to create the results of your life, the experience of your life, the emotional experience of your business. And if you continue to act like other people are creating that for you, you're always going to feel a little bit out of control. So step three, step one was get clear on what's true for you. Step two is dropping the victim thoughts. And step three is staying in your model. We talked about this in phase one. The model is your thoughts, feelings, and actions and results. But this is yours, right? Not other people, including your clients or staff or what have you. Sometimes people ask, but isn't that selfish? So I want to clear that up. I'm not suggesting that you only care about you and stop caring about them. 
this unfair dichotomy is what's been keeping you stuck in people-pleasing. Keep your caring heart, my love buckets. Just show that care from your model. Meaning, love them from your values, not so they will think, feel, or do what you want them to. That's not love. That's manipulation, you guys. All right. So, and watch out because I still think probably, I'm trying to think of as many examples as possible so that you can see that when you say yes to people, even if they're immediately, they feel like, oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad you did that. And you feel a little that, that hit that you thrive on. The people pleaser thrives on that hit of like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Couldn't have done this without you. Or like, I so appreciate it. Even if what ends up happening when you're people pleasing, not when you're doing something for someone that does still feel aligned for you. Sometimes that'll happen. And that's great. That's not what we're talking about here. We're saying saying it's a yes when it's actually a no for you. What ends up happening is you end up attracting a clientele who doesn't share the same values as you. They don't value time or timeliness or They don't value the product or service that you really want to offer. They have other values and that's okay. They're allowed to keep them. There's nothing wrong with them. We just need to make sure that we're very clearly attracting a team, clients, suppliers that will help us build the business that we want to show up to, not a business that we're going to resent. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example in terms of a model. Let's say someone asks me if I would do six weeks of coaching instead of six months, which is what I currently offer for reasons that I love. Stage one, people pleaser would think, "Ah, I want them to feel supported and like I have their best interest. I mean, I could do six weeks when they think that they feel kind of wishy-washy on their policies and their offer. And then from that feeling they take the action of people-pleasing and offering six weeks. The result they create is that they deliver them coaching that doesn't have their best interest or support their long-term results. And often cases, this person just has a lower commitment to the coaching experience, right? Stage two, when you're in standing up for yourself let's say someone asks you for the six week of coaching, your thought is, I wish people would stop trying to get me to give them something I don't do, like just read my website. If you're thinking that, you're going to feel annoyed and say no with an attitude or listen, no, uh, and a long explanation of why not, kind of shaming them for even asking. Or you'll say yes and break your policy, but only this one time, making it clear you're making an exception and low-key threatening them to not do it again. The result is you end up creating this like weird energy between your clients, whether you said yes or no. It was from an awkward place or like an unaligned place. And the result is you end up pushing your clients away or putting a space between you and your clients. And then stage three, when you're in neutral honesty and someone asks you or asks me, let's say I'm in neutral honesty. Someone asks me if I will do six weeks of coaching when that's not my offer. My thought is I want success for them. They're telling me that this is what they think they want. 
But my policy and offer is six months of coaching because from experience, I know that that's the sweet spot for learning, implementing, and making a habit of the tools that I teach so that it's sustainable for them. I feel when I'm thinking about that, I'm focused about me and my policies and what I want to offer them. When I'm thinking about offering them based on my values, I feel results and I feel neutral. And my action is just to say no. Probably not even to justify it or explain it. Sometimes I will. I'll explain it if they feel really confused, but I'll just like, oh, no, I only offer six months. And the result is I have a client roster of great fits. Only six-month coaching clients who are committed and getting high-quality results. Now, I will say that sometimes the results I create in that moment is that that person doesn't sign up. Sometimes the result I create, and you'll be surprised, is that the person says, okay, and then they do the six months. But you'll never know if you're continuing people-pleasing or standing up for yourself. When you get to neutral honesty, you're in an honest relationship. When someone commits, they're committed. When someone says no, it still feels good because you know that it wasn't a fit. And so finally, I'm just going to add some useful thoughts to help you stay in stage three of neutral honesty. One of my favorite thoughts is sometimes people are going to be confused and that's okay. People aren't going to get your policies or they're going to think that you just aren't being fair or accommodating or something like that. And that's okay. We can make room for other people to feel whatever they feel in response to your policies. But again, and this brings me to another useful thought that I have, negative emotion, their negative emotion is not a problem or an indictment of you. When you people please, what you're subtly saying, especially if you're worried about people pleasing your kids or your family, what you're actually saying is, I don't believe that you can handle the truth. I don't believe that you can handle the experience of negative emotion. So I'm going to try and protect you from that. The truth is there's actually nothing wrong with negative emotions. Part of the human experience. Sometimes like when I was in that coaching container, I was telling you about, and she was like, Hey, turn your camera on. Just point blank. She wasn't being mean. She was just holding the boundary that she had set from the room. I felt so bad. I felt uncomfortable. I felt bad. And I was like, Ooh, shoot. I'm not going to do that again. You know what it was? It helped make me accountable to the experience that I came for. She has that policy for a reason, right? And at first I might be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she just called me out, blah, blah, blah. That's so mean or rude or whatever. But at the end of the day, those are my thoughts. And her job is to just come and get me results. So you got to remember, what is your job? What are they coming coming to you for? Are your clients and customers or are, is your team, are they coming to you for, for you to just be nice to them regardless of the truth? No, they're coming to you for value. They're coming to you for a relationship that they can believe in, that they can trust. And you can only give them that when you are in this phase three of neutral honesty. 
Masterful CEO School enrollment is coming next week. I know. I The change is in the air. Can't you feel it? If you're in New York, you definitely feel it because it's fall and it's crisp. And that's exactly the way you feel when you are in this room. We still have a few spots left. And if you're new to the show... The Masterful CEO School is my six-month coaching program where we meet weekly, virtually, and once live right in the middle of the program in January. You'll learn time, money, and business tools and processes while also being given the space to work out the emotions and that messy, what do I do here, situations each week. The community is unlike any I've ever seen in the industry. And the transformation of going from feeling like a an employee in your own business or really just this person that's good at this thing and is trying to scale without losing their life in the process to a masterful CEO It's just my favorite transition to witness on this earth. I mean, maybe it would be cool to see a caterpillar turn into a butterfly like live, but I've never seen that. So this is definitely my top one. And I can't wait for you to join us. Get on the wait list by going to my Instagram bio at Jess McKinley Wayno. Definitely come connect with me over there. Jess McKinley, M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y, Wayno, U-Y-E-N-O. Or you can snag it in the show notes. Enrollment is from September 12th to the 14th, and we begin the following week. Let's go. So let's recap. Phase one was people-pleasing. Phase two is standing up for yourself. And phase three, that magical phase of neutral honesty. Which phase are you in right now? If you sit with yourself, be honest. Whichever phase you find yourself in, though, Know that if it isn't working for you, or if you feel like there's room for improvement, it's not too late to change and evolve. You are not a people pleaser. That's just an identity that you've practiced. Keep the self-concept of kind, caring, lover, not a fighter. I love that for you. And show up in neutral honesty with that same goal in mind. Not only are you growing your business, but you're also growing yourself. This would be a good time to sit back and take a deep breath and check in to see if you fall into any of these phases and if that phase is serving you or not. If you loved this episode, please share it with someone who needs to hear it. This is one of those episodes, right? That just punches you in the gut if you're in phase one or two, and you might not even know how to get out of it. So share it with your girlfriend, like right now, text it to her. Okay. That is being a kind, caring lover until next week. My masterful CEOs. We'll see you then.